Hi, I'm TechCrunch Managing Editor Daryl Etherington. This is the TechCrunch Podcast, where we cover everything you need to know about the week's top stories in tech from the people who wrote them. This week, I'm talking to Tim DeChant about what feels like a rare, hopeful story in renewable energy technology. And Jacqueline Melanick is here to walk us through Sam Bankman-Fried's alleged crimes and confirmed arrest. But first, I'll break down the biggest stories in tech. Instagram added a new feature aimed at bringing text-based updates to the platform. Notes allows users to post short textual status updates visible in their messages tab. Other users can see these notes, which last for 24 hours, and reply to them with replies showing up as DMs. It's a tentative first step into the world of text, but it could hint at more to come in the future. Read more on TC from Sarah Perez. OpenAI is working on a way to watermark AI-generated text, or, in other words, provide a clear indication to anyone looking for it that text generated by a bot like ChatGPT wasn't actually made by a human. This could help prevent things like AI-generated text being submitted by university students as term papers, for instance. So far, this is a pretty difficult problem to solve. Researchers suggest existing efforts can easily be worked around using simple methods like rewording or just using synonyms. Check out more on this from Kyle Wiggers on TechCrunch. Twitter banned an account that used publicly available data to track the flights of Elon Musk's personal jet. The account's creator, Jack Sweeney, has also been banned, along with other automated flight tracker bots he created. Musk later said that he banned the account because of an incident in which his son was mistakenly followed in place of him by a, quote, crazy stalker. He added that real-time location sharing of anyone would result in account suspension going forward, which seems simple on its face, but actually runs into conflict with a number of perfectly valid and legal uses of this information. Amanda Silberling has more on the story on TC. First up, Tim DeChant and I talk about the bright possible future of fusion energy. Hey, Tim, how's it going? Good, Daryl. How are you doing? Great. Exciting news this week. So it seems like we solved nuclear fusion. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I mean, this don't get me wrong, this was a big step. It was not maybe the step that everybody was hoping for, which is mm. kind of like a big splashy sort of thing where a large reactor that's been built for a long time sustained fusion for a long period of time. The approach that they're using at this research lab is different, I think, from what a lot of people think of when they think of fusion. Mm, okay. So what is, I assume based on just going the opposite direction of the things you talked about, it was like a small scale experiment with kind of limited results, but seems like they were promising at least. Right? Very promising. Yeah. So they've been building up to this for a while. They've had some promising results over the past year or so. And essentially what they did is they were able to get more energy out of the reaction than they put into it. And there's kind of some caveats and technicalities there that I'll, I'll get into. So, Is it like the caveats that when uh, adjusted EBITDA for yeah. our <laughs> Community our adjusted, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> it's maybe not quite that bad. Okay, good. But so in the late 90s, when they were kind of embarking on some of these grand fusion experiments, the National Academies of Science commissioned a report that said, okay, if we're going to have these fusion experiments, we need to have milestones. And we need to understand when we've actually hit the goal of sustained controlled fusion, mm-hmm. or at least net energy positive controlled fusion, which is what we're talking about here. And so what they said is, at the point of the experiment, you have to have more energy come out of the fusion reaction than you put in. Mm-hmm. So in, in the case here, what they did is they shot 192 lasers into this tiny gold canister. And inside that canister, there was a cryogenically frozen fuel pellet that's about the size of a BB. And they shot those lasers in, 
and the amount of energy that made it into that canister was about two megajoules. Hmm. Now, that wasn't the amount of energy that the entire facility used. Right, right. But they got three or so megajoules out, so they got 50% more energy out of the reaction than they ended up putting in. So by the standard put forth by the National Academy of Science, this was a success, it's not positive. Now, the laser system alone at this lab requires 300 megajoules hmm. to fire. So we like, still got a ways to go. <laughs> yeah. So like in isolation, this the closed system was net positive. But then if you take into account everything else, it's like significantly net negative. Like yeah, you're, yeah. Right. You're definitely in the hole still. And, and they pointed out, too, that this technology is old. It's built on laser technology essentially from the 80s because mm-hmm. it took a while to build the facility. They've been operating it since, I believe, 2009. And so they've been slowly refining it. And there's a lot of things they have to tweak as they do this, right? So they're continuously working on the laser system to improve it. They're working on that little cylinder they call the whole realm to make Mm -hmm. that uh, better so that it can focus the laser energy more. Essentially what happens is the laser vaporizes that canister. And in that process, that turns into x-rays, which is what bombards the fuel pellet and causes it to compress. Hmm. Okay. And so there's all sorts of these things that they have to tweak. Right. And that's ultimately what got them to this point. But I guess like why this is so promising is they proved practically that it is possible to have a net energy gain with the fusion reaction, right? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we've known that fusion can work on Earth since like 1952 when we set off the first hydrogen bomb. The question was, could we do it in a controlled fashion? Right. And so that's what we've been chasing for all these years. And this was really the first time that they've shown that it works and it's not just theoretical. Right. And so based on this, I guess it would be, like you were just talking about, optimization of the means to get the energy into the system is probably the next step. But even though it seems astronomical, it's also like, based on other things we've accomplished, it probably is possible long-term to get that there. Or I assume if they thought it wasn't at all possible, they wouldn't even bother trying. Yeah, yeah. No, they, they do think this is possible. Whether this is the exact approach that wins out is another question. Mm-hmm. This facility is actually first and foremost a national security facility. Mm-hmm. So they use this device and other things at the lab to basically model and test environments that simulate nuclear weapons. Right. So rather than having to test in the open air or stuff like that, this is what they do instead. But, you know, the, the side benefit is we've been able to prove this theory. And so it is possible there are companies out there that are chasing down this approach for the purposes of power generation. Right. A lot of others are taking a different approach called magnetic confinement, which is what a lot of people think of traditionally when they think of fusion, where they use large magnets to basically corral the plasma into either like a donut shape or some other shape to try to simulate the conditions in the interior of the sun. And in those experiments, have we also seen promising results? Have we seen anything akin to this? Uh, nothing akin to this. Nobody mm-hmm. has reached net positive fusion at this point, either experimentally you know, judged or otherwise. But they are getting closer. There are a lot of companies that have raised a lot of money to put into this, these approaches. And then there's also the ITER, the International Thermonuclear Experimental Reactor in France, that's, I think, slated to be completed in the next couple of years. And I think they expect to have first plasma sometime after that. Okay, cool. So you mentioned startups there. What does the startup space look like here? And how does it like vie with the kind of time horizons that you normally go into investments like this? Uh, these are much longer. Mm, <laughs> so, <right. laughs> um, yeah. So even, you know, when they announced the results at the lab, they said, you know, it's going to be decades out. We're not talking five or six decades anymore. 
they wouldn't put a timeline on it. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people have been burned before trying to predict when fusion is going to be come you know to fruition. But a lot of people are saying sometime in the 2040s, 2050s is probably when this is going to happen. Okay. Some others are a little bit more positive and think that they can get there sooner. And there are a lot of them that have raised significant amounts of money. I think the in the last year, I looked at PitchBook data and Fusion startups have, have raised $2.7 billion mm. in the last year alone, which is just over half of what they've raised overall. So a lot of investors think that Fusion is maybe not imminent, but that its time is coming sooner than later. So some of the big ones are Commonwealth Fusion Systems, which has raised $2 billion to date, Mm. and they're taking that more traditional tokamak approach with the magnetic confinement. Kind of the granddaddy of them all is TAE Technologies. They've been around for a few decades. They've raised $2.5 billion. Another one, General Fusion, which kind of uses a hybrid of the two, has raised $196. And First Light Fusion, which uses inertial confinement, which is the one that we saw in the results on Tuesday, uh, they've raised $590 million to date. So there's, wow. there's a lot of money sloshing around here, a lot of big bets, hoping that this will pan out sooner than later. Right. And it sounds like probably from maybe a group of investors that are not your typical traditional VCs, given that the timelines involved are long. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, you see some surprising ones. Sam Altman has invested in one, mm. you know, and then some others that you would expect, like Breakthrough Energy Ventures is sinking in, uh, big money into some of these longer ones. Right. Um, That's Bill Gates' engine. Fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Breakthrough is Bill Gates' one. Yeah, I think you mentioned the last company you mentioned uses this similar system. Do you think that this is like a great boon for them in terms of their efforts to continue to rise and develop the technology? Yeah, I'm sure they are grinning from ear to ear right now because <laughs> this is uh, kind of like the ultimate validation that their technology could work. Right, yeah, for sure. And But they weren't working directly with this particular lab as far as we know, right? Uh, not that I know of. Um, mm-hmm. That's something I'd want to look into a little bit more before ruling it out entirely. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure they have researchers who have worked at NIF. It's kind of the premier place to do this sort of research. So um, it's almost certainly happened um, that they've had some crossover there. And you mentioned, too, that this is actually a lab that focuses mostly on national security. So was this kind of incidental to perhaps weaponization experimentation, or were they actually seeking it to do this specific thing? Yes and no. I think for as long as it's been around, there's been this kind of dual goal of proving nuclear fusion while also performing experiments that relate to national security. I heard someone from NIF talk back when I was in grad school in like 2008 or 2009. So they were just kind of getting ready to start the facility up. And even then they were talking about fusion and Mm -hmm. and the promise of fusion power. So, you know, it's possible that this built with national security in mind first and foremost, but I think there's always been this idea that maybe they could turn it into energy at some point, which I think they were looking at what happened in the fission world and imagining that they could transition something like that in the future. Yeah, sure. I think also, I'm just curious about you know, what is the attitude generally now towards this in the in the scientific community? Has this kind of converted a lot of skeptics or former skeptics, or is it too early to kind of say there? Because I know, I think I've perceived the general attitude that there are a lot of people who are just like, this is kind of a waste of time to pursue this, right? Yeah, I think some people would think that way, especially when they're looking at climate change and the timeline that we're on there. Right. And they would say, we'd probably be better off investing in things like solar, wind, batteries that can get us to net zero a little bit faster. But, you know, the the promise of fusion is that it's a power plant that is kind of the same 
model is what we have today, right? Mm -hmm. It's large, it's centralized, you can plug it into the grid, it can produce mass amounts of power pretty much 24-7 without interruption. That said, I think a lot of people are looking at this and they're like, yeah, it might be possible, but the timeline is such that it's really long. Did this change any minds? That's a good question. I think among the people who are going to be skeptical about it you know, with relation to the timeline, probably not. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think this speeds anything up. I think a lot of people who are in the physics and fusion world expected that this was going to happen at some point. I don't mm-hmm. know that they expected it to happen so soon. So I think that's good news, right? right. Um, sometimes surprising, surprising things happen in science and the timeline moves faster than you think. Other times it takes a lot longer. And I think fusion has kind of been stuck in that longer timeline for a while. Yeah, And so I think the question is, are we now kind of about to crack it wide open? Right. And I think some people in the fusion world think that's the case. There's been a lot of research into magnets, and even outside the magnet world, there's just crossovers. There's a lot of work in machine learning and artificial intelligence that's helped them simulate some of these conditions. In the press briefing, they mentioned that machine learning was one of the key advantages they had that helped them fine-tune the experimental conditions that gave them the result. And so, and I know I've been talking with other startups, and they said, yeah, computing power and machine learning have been really instrumental in the last few years to move things forward. Right. So it sounds like that could be the X factor in a lot of breakthroughs that have been maybe a long time coming, but missing that little bit of optimization or sort of unusual thinking, as it were, that's in quotation marks. They're yeah, exactly. They're thinking. <laughs> that seems to be right, because these are yeah. really complex machines, and there's only so many different knobs the human mind can turn at any one time to try right. to figure out what the best combination is going to be, whereas that's something machine learning really excels at. Yeah. All right. Well, great, Tim. Thanks very much. Some optimism, I think, injected into uh, the news cycle, which is unusual. Yeah, it is unusual. <laughs> Hopefully it continues. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Daryl. Next, Jacqueline Melanick has the difficult task of getting us all up to speed on the SBF drama in less than 15 minutes. Hey, Jackie, how's it going? Hey, Daryl, I'm doing well. Busy week, but, you know, still standing, so. Yeah, busy week indeed. I think I was. it was earlier in the morning when this happened, and I think it was Tuesday where he was actually arrested, so I wrote that. You wrote mm-hmm. about how he was... Being extradited, he, we, we should say who we're talking about. Everyone should know, but it is <laughs> Samuel Bankman-Fried, yes. SBF, main character of like, well, at least the last few weeks, I would mm-hmm. say. But For sure. So he gets extradited from the Bahamas, or the Bahamas says they're going to extradite him, yeah. and then... Right, so he hasn't actually been extradited yet. The okay. U.S. wants him. The Bahamas, I'm sure, will cooperate. But right now, he got arrested on Monday, mm-hmm. Monday evening. I was at an event. And our lovely coworker, Marianne, covered it. And then Tuesday morning, you covered the charges from the SEC, CFTC, and the New York Attorney Office. Yes, the Southern District of New York. Yes, yes. SDNY, yeah. And basically, he was supposed to testify at the U.S. House of Financial Services hearing on FTX's collapse Tuesday morning. And of course, he wasn't able to do so because he was arrested the night before the meeting. And then he was also at court while the hearing was going on. So busy schedule, (laughs) too many conflicts. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of stuff's been going on this week. All the headlines have constantly been around him, majority of them, for the past month. And this is another week of another big story surrounding 
SBF, as we call him, FTX's former CEO. Yes, it's uh, it's a lot for sure. A lot for us, <laughs> just on the outside. Yeah, probably a lot for U.S. regulators. Probably a lot for SBS himself, but but it's mm-hmm. kind of his fault. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I've I've kind of in a f- been in a fugue state, I would say, since Tuesday. So I know that mm-hmm. all the factual details of he was charged, both by the SEC and faces criminal charges as well, right? But mm-hmm. what else has kind of happened? Because I feel like there's a lot more that has happened and you've been keeping a close pulse on it. Uh, and some yeah. of it is like just silly, but some of it is substantial too, right? Like yeah. there's a lot going on still. Yeah, and I, I don't think this is like the end of things. I hate the saying, it's just the beginning, but it really right. is just yeah. the beginning. During a press conference earlier this week, Damian Williams, uh, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, said during an event that he couldn't say whether or not other charges were going to be brought against people involved in the case. But he said, I can say this, quote, clearly, we are not done. Uh, So, yeah. And also when it comes to conspiracy theory charges, which there were a few against SBF, that usually involves more than one party because they were conspiring together. So, yeah. He also declined Williams declined to comment on which FTX-related individuals have cooperated so far, but he took a very serious stance during the press conference. He's like, for those of you who have not done so, you should do so and do so quickly. Right. So it's like a a ticking time bomb almost. Yeah, Uh, well, that makes sense because it is like they're building their mm -hmm. case and they're probably like, there's a certain time limit when immunity or whatever, like reduced sentences, those kinds of benefits in exchange for cooperation are going to run out. You're going to mm-hmm. be on their side, not our side anymore, right? Yeah, and, exactly. But what the speculation must be wild <laughs> about who it is. Because Carolyn Ellison would be the big, because mm-hmm. like I would imagine just as a casual observer, if they got Carolyn, they basically have it in the bag, right? Like that yeah. would be the one that they would be very that confident, like mm-hmm. we can go out with charges and we mm-hmm. have a very strong chance of getting them, and the, of getting uh, them convicted. The uh, lovely citizen journalist of crypto Twitter, as we like to call it, posted photos of Caroline Ellison at a Soho coffee shop. Uh, I think it was last week. And they called the coffee shop. Coffee shop confirmed it was her. And everyone was saying on Google Maps, it was only 15 minutes away from the like Department of Justice or whatever, the New York City like branch. Oh. And so they were all saying, oh, maybe she was there to cooperate. Like, why isn't she in the Bahamas? And it was a side profile photo. It really did look like her. And uh-huh. apparently the house dog, the FTX house dog was also in the photo. So that also confirmed wow, that. Wow, that corroborates so it. We'll yeah. see if uh, <laughs> she was actually there for those reasons or she was just at a coffee shop in New York, you know? Right. Uh, but, but I yeah. like the, they called the coffee shop and... <laughs> The coffee shop confirmed? Like, what yeah. do you mean they confirmed? The they confirmed like, that that was sure, her. Sure, we've got a receipt. <laughs> and it says, like, yeah. that seems like you should wait for a warrant, first of all. You should not be giving <laughs> that information out to the public just randomly. Yeah. Uh, Everyone likes wow. their, their five minutes of fame, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah, SPF is being held in the Bahamas Department of Correction Services and the prison's max security, like, nurse unit. Oh. Yeah, he's not being held like, in like the general pop like situation. Like he's literally in the infirmary. Um, Whoa, where but, you would go if you have medical issues. Now, does he have yeah, medical issues ongoing currently? They did not say. I think it's to keep like him secure. He's there with five other inmates in a quote dorm style setting, uh, mm-hmm. according to the NASA Guardian, which is a newspaper in the Bahamas. And 
Basically, the current corrections commissioner said he's, quote, in good spirits and the prison is no longer infested with rodents because there were a lot of reports out there saying that it was, which is, you know, (laughs) good for the inmates. It it no longer has rodents. uh, And great. He's in good spirits. I jokingly said in my newsletter today that we could all sleep well tonight. (laughs) Right. Everybody feels good about that, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but wait, what are the rodent problems? So when did that come to light? Like they, it was earlier in the week. They were like, "Oh, there's rats there," and then they had to later issue a statement saying, "Like, yeah, there's no." And, there's, and they said, "There's no longer," which implies that there was one. And that they yes, then took care there of was. It. There were reports last year about this problem before SBF even stepped foot in this prison before he was even considered a quote unquote alleged criminal. But yeah, apparently they took care of the problem. And there's photos surfacing of the prison. It's like, it's not the nicest prison for sure. Um, If I was between a Bahamas prison and a U.S. prison, I I think I would pick a U.S. one. Oh, really? Uh, Oh, okay. (laughs) It had like fans outside and people were saying that they go to the bathroom in buckets. And, you know, Mm. I'm just, I'm not going to speculate more than what has been said online. But yeah, uh, I don't think this is comparable to his $40 million mansion and the uh, private gated community, the Albany in the Bahamas. So yeah, yeah, it's probably a bit of a change for him yeah. in terms yeah. of quality of life. But, yeah. uh, but uh, extradition is still on the table for SBF uh-huh. to go to the U.S. But whether or not that process will happen or be expedited before his next hearing date on February eighth is unclear. So right, we shall see. He might be there for a little longer. And the issue seems to possibly be that that the Bahamas wants their pound of flesh first before he's mm-hmm. passed off to the U.S., right? Yeah. Or like, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, FTX was headquartered in the Bahamas. He did yeah. make a stake there. When I went there for their one-time crypto conference back in April, like, locals were really excited about the prospect of having this massive billion-dollar company there and having other crypto companies building there mm-hmm. and adding to the local economy. Yes, they have tourism, but this only enhanced it. And now it's, like, definitely a wrinkle on their industry. And like everything that they were excited about. Um, so I'm, I'm sure they want answers as well. Yeah, for sure. I also saw some rumblings about SBF's parents. I think I saw something where they were like <laughs> laughing as, as well. if it was like. Yeah, I'm laughing because so it's absurd. Yeah, apparently <laughs> the mom kept laughing. Oh, shoot, what was it? Every time they called him like a criminal or something, they said like it was or a, a specific term. A fugitive was the word. Yes, a yes. fugitive. Uh, she was laughing and apparently the dad would like look down at certain points and put his fingers in his ears as to not hear like, what was la, going la, on. La, I can't hear you. Yeah. 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 Very, very strange. And there are like a bunch of reports just coming out every single day, like weird little tidbits. Apparently relatives to SBF reached out to the prison and asked if they could deliver vegan food to him. Wow. Because he's a vegan. Yeah, sorry. I think it, <laughs> we he's he's having the rats because that's how they solve that problem. It's <laughs> Yeah, maybe the infirmary unit uh, has vegan <laughs> options. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> so, so besides these hearings that we don't know whether he'll mm-hmm. make it or not because of extraditions, like mm-hmm. what else is kind of on the docket next? Do you think for SBF and for FTX in general? Because I think he's still maintaining, you know, FTX US is fully solvent and that's all fine mm-hmm. and everything's fine there, et cetera, Right? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to digest here, and you know, SBF going to jail is only one part of this and mm-hmm. of the whole FTX story. Even this week, you know, uh, as I mentioned, the U.S. House held that hearing on Tuesday, which they called part one of like mm. the whole FTX situation, and they said part two will reconvene in the new year. 
and I listened to it. It was a four-hour hearing, and it covered a lot of ground. And the only person who attended as a witness was FTX's new CEO, John Ray III, because SBF was supposed to testify, but then, as we mentioned— yeah. He was a little Ran into busy. some issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot that stood out there. John Ray said a lot of really interesting things. Mm-hmm. People uh, were saying it was $10 billion prior to this hearing, but John Ray said at this time, there's no exact numbers detailing the extent to which funds were misused, but mm-hmm. it's in an excess of $7 billion right now. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I saw some choice quotes from him. Like the, there was one where he said, you know, I don't trust a single scrap of paper in this office or yes. Yeah, so to do with this he company. was saying there were no audits of Alameda, which is what they called a sister company, but effectively was just like FTX's like love child or uh-huh. Sam Bankman Fried's love child or its venture silo. Neither of them had audits, but there were audits of FTX US and FTX.com, John Ray said. The audits were done by uh, Prager Matis and Ar- Armanino, and mm. those are like crypto auditing firms. But he did say, I can't speak to the integrity or quality of those audits. And he said, I don't trust a single piece of paper in this organization, which is like yeah. such a burn. And also like fair. <laughs> you it know? is a like, burn. Yeah. I, I have to say, when I was like reading more about this hearing, mm-hmm. I was I kind of envied him his job, which is like... <laughs> Not to mention he's all... getting paid thousands of dollars yes! an hour. <laughs> he's getting paid very well to go in and effectively be like, this is a shit show, which is yeah. like, we all... Yeah. Also think that no one's paying us that. <laughs> and FTX is using like consumer level software platforms that like you or yeah. I would use. Yeah. When we don't own billion dollar companies, they're using QuickBooks and Slack to manage invoices and expenses, which is just like you know yeah. those are great applications, but sure. not for multi billion dollar companies or what was. Yeah, it's I saw like, the QuickBooks thing and I was like, oh, it's baffling. Boy. I know. Yeah. And like literally every tweet was like QuickBooks, QuickBooks, QuickBooks on my feed when that happened. Yeah. <laughs> it was free advertising. I don't know if it's the way they wanted it, but uh, right. yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, I could, you can run a $1.8 mm-hmm. $1. billion fraudulent uh, company. You can also run your home yeah, business. Yeah, it works. Right? It, yeah. works. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it works for everyone. Uh, but I think another interesting part of the hearing was when John Ray like confirmed that customer funds were being deposited yes. directly into Alameda Research as opposed to FTX accounts, which is just mind-blowing. I mean, yeah. can you imagine putting money into your bank and it just goes directly into like right. a hedge fund? Doesn't like, even forget like, spend you. any yeah. time in your actual, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so the numbers were made up. Yeah. yeah. It's, it seems like those are the key salient details that like really make, you know, SBF's little apology tour yeah. or whatever the hell you want to call it, like... So he was obviously full of shit as he was doing mm-hmm. it, but it seems like, yes, like it's very clear that it's full of shit and there's a paper trail to say yeah. so, right? So. And he was saying like FTX and Alameda operated as one company. Right. There was no distinction virtually between the two. Yeah. And who controlled it? The guy in prison, SBF, yeah. you know, so. And the use of the FTX capital, John Ray said, was not incidental or accidental. Right. He said it was literally on purpose. Like, And so yeah. for SBF to go on this little media tour and act like all innocent and circumnavigate like all these questions, like, no, he, he knew what he was doing, basically, yeah. is what John Ray's saying. So, so it seems like, like the government could have felt that they were in a good place to indict based on just that and his mm-hmm. own statements on this press tour. So they might not need <laughs> even Caroline... And that might be yeah. what that message was. Like, if you, Caroline, or any of his other Confederates are still out there in the wind, like, come mm-hmm. in, because this is your only chance, because we have all this other shit already, right? Yeah. I guess it's a matter of, like, how involved Caroline and, like, the other execs were in this whole scheme. Right. 
Or are they really just going to place all the blame on SBF? Personally, based off what I know and what I've seen, I think it was a handful of them yeah. who were in the, on this together. So I think it's a matter of time for other people to be charged, even if they are cooperating. Right, you right. Know? for sure. Yeah. All right, well, thank you very much, Jackie. It's always thrilling to hear about <laughs> what's going on here. Always surprising, too. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, there's there's more to come, as you said. It's only the beginning. Mm-hmm. I feel bad for you, but I also look <laughs> you, forward you to your to reporting. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. And coming up next year on April 20th in Boston, we have TechCrunch Early Stage 2023. It's a terrific event where we bring you all the best in startup advice and tips from investors. And we've got a great end of 2022 discount to help you out if you register with the link that you find in the show notes by 11.59 p.m. PT on December 31st and book a founder pass. It'll be just $75, which is regularly $149, so that's half off. So be sure to check out all the other TC podcasts as well, including Found, Equity, Chain Reaction, and the TechCrunch Live podcast. We'll be back next week.